open with me to the book of Acts. We're going to take a, take a slight break from Matthew this morning and wanted to, to look at a passage in, in Acts looking at the, the, uh, this person, uh, Ananias, uh, for a minute this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Uh, we're going to begin our reading in verse 10 this morning and we'll read down to verse 22. So it says, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me to you, that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food and was strengthened, then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on the name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. And so, Lord, again, we just ask that you would go before us this morning. Lord, would you speak to us, minister to us through your word. Lord, we know that each and every time we open your word that you speak to us, that you have something for us. So, Lord, would you... Be with us this morning and speak to us, Lord. Give us ears to hear. Lord, give us open hearts to receive what you have. And we invite you in this place. Lord, would you honor the reading of your word this morning? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the, the cost of obedience is nothing compared with the cost of disobedience. That's what Richard Baxter said. The cost of obedience is nothing compared to the cost of disobedience. And so as we kind of jump into this story this morning, looking at this man, Ananias, you know, just for a little bit of context, I kind of understand where we are, you know, in, in Acts chapter 9, that 
Saul on his way to Damascus. He sees Jesus, right? He is converted on this road to Damascus and Saul has seen the Lord. He has experienced the presence of God and, and in seeing the Lord, it has left him blind, right? The Paul, uh, Saul of Tarsus has been blind for three days, seeing nothing and in his blindness, in this kind of newness, this freshness of his, of his conversion, of his belief in Jesus, probably remembering the face of Stephen, right, as, as Saul was standing there holding the coats of those that were stoning him to death, probably remembering the faces of many more that he has persecuted in his campaign against believers. He has seen Jesus. He has seen the Messiah for who he is, realizing that his campaign to persecute the church was wrong was in error. Saul has been blinded by Jesus. But in his blindness is now seeing more than when he had his sight. Because now he sees truth. He sees who Jesus is. What Jesus has done for him. And isn't that funny? Isn't it funny how the ways of the world can blind us from seeing who Jesus is? And that so often we need to become blind to the world so that we can truly see the Lord and the things he is doing. Has that ever happened to you? You ever come to a place where you're just blinded, distracted by the things of this world? Blinded from the things that God has called us to do? Deafened our ears from hearing the things the Lord is saying to us, speaking to us. You know, I think it was C.S. Lewis that said either sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. You know, and there's this, the way the world can distract us and derail us from what the Lord would have us do. Well, this morning, I'd like to look at six things, six things we see in the life of of Ananias. Six things about following the Lord, what that looks like, how that should be played out in our lives. So as we consider our text this morning, the first thing we need to consider, the first thing about following the Lord, the first thing we learn about Ananias is hearing from the Lord. We need to hear the Lord. We need to be listening to him, listening for him, listening to his voice. In verse 10, it says, Now there was this certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am. Here I am, Lord. Hearing the Lord, listening to his voice. And so this morning, I'd like to focus not on Paul, right? When we come to Acts chapter 9, Paul kind of steals the show, right? He kind of becomes the focus. But rather, I'd like to focus on Ananias and this pattern that he gives us about following the Lord. Here we have this man, Ananias, right? This man really that lives in obscurity, right? 
We haven't known him up until this point. And then after this point, he drops off. We don't hear from him again. This is the only point in which we see this man, Ananias, from Damascus. But he gives us this very powerful and this very profound pattern that we should have in our lives. You see, he's here in this chapter to minister to Saul of Tarsus, right, who would become Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle, a man that would go on to write half of the New Testament books, plant several churches across Asia. But Ananias is here to minister to Paul in that moment, and then he kind of fades off into obscurity. Right, here's a man who is unknown to the world, perhaps insignificant in his church. We don't know because we don't know a lot about him. Right? These are the only verses we have about him. Perhaps not a prominent figure in ministry, but here's the thing. He may be unknown to the world, but he is not unknown to God. Right? He is not unknown to the Lord. And more importantly, the Lord is not unknown to him. Right? He's there. He's in a place where he can hear from his Lord. Hear his voice. Right? What did... What did Jesus say in John chapter 10? My sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. You see, the world doesn't have to know who Ananias is. God knows. Notice he calls him by name, Ananias. And he responds, here I am, Lord. He is listening to the voice of his God and responding to it. The Lord calls him by name. He is in a place where he can hear from him. He's in a place where he's listening, expecting God to speak to him. The Lord speaks and he recognizes the voice, right? My sheep hear my voice and I know them. Question this morning, do you recognize the voice of the Lord in your life? Can you hear his voice speaking to you, right? In your prayer life, as you spend time in his word, do you recognize that's his voice to you? He's speaking to you and he wants you to hear him. And he wants you to respond. Or is the things of this world too loud and too distracting and taking your focus from where it should be? See, Ananias isn't distracted. He hasn't lost his focus. The things around him aren't too loud. I mean, after all, Saul of Tarsus has gotten permission from the chief priest to bind all who call upon the name of the Lord. But that hasn't distracted Ananias. He is in a place where he can receive from the Lord, hear his voice, and respond. Are we in a place where we can hear his voice and respond? Right? Paul would go on later to write in Romans chapter 10, right? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing 
by the word of God. We need to be in his word. We need to be listening to what the Lord is saying to us. John 8, 47 says, He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, do you not hear because you are not of God? Hebrews 2, 1, Therefore, we must give the more the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Are we hearing his voice? Hebrews three fourteen and 15 says, For we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. John said in Revelation chapter 3, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. I will dine with him and be with him. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. And I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Are you listening? Are you hearing what God has for you this morning. But not only is Ananias listening for the voice of the Lord, look at his response, right? He's not just hearing it, he's responding, right? God says, Ananias, and he recognizes the voice of his Lord. He says, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Right, it reminds me of Samuel, right? In, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter uh, Chapter 3, right when he's there, and he keeps hearing the voice of the Lord, and he calls out to Eli, and finally, after several times, Eli's like, it's not me that's calling you, right? And he instructs Samuel, the next time you hear his voice, speak for your servant hears, right? It's when he hears Samuel again, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Or how about when Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord, right? And he's posed the question, who will go? And Isaiah responds and says, here I am, send me. This is the place that Ananias is in. He's in a place where he says, here I am, Lord. I'm right here. What do you require of me? What are you asking from me? What do you require of your servant? Can we say that this morning? Can we respond in that way? Lord, I hear you. How can I serve you? How can I minister in your name? How can I be a witness for you today? God, I hear you. Because here's the thing. If we're hearing the Lord, if we're hearing his voice, the second thing that happens, the second point this morning is not just hearing the Lord, but the calling of the Lord. If we're hearing him, the next thing we can be assured of is that the, the call of God. Right? If he's speaking to us, there's something he's calling us to do. Right? There's going to be an expectation from the Lord. Right? In verses 11 and 12, it says, So the Lord says to him, right? so Ananias responds, right? Here I am, Lord. What do you have for me? And so the Lord responds to him, Arise, go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, 
he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Ananias receives a calling from God. God calls him. And in this particular case, gives him very specific instructions. Go to this street in Damascus, the street called Straight, which, by the way, is still there today. Travels east to west. Go to this house. Seek out this particular man. This is what he's doing. Right? Go to the street in Damascus called Straight. Inquire, right, at the house of, of Judas. Find this man, Saul of Tarsus. He's there praying. Here's the thing. If we are truly listening for the voice of the Lord, if he's truly speaking to us, and he is, right? He is speaking. The question is, are we listening? Are we hearing? Then our response should be, here I am. And what comes next is what he's called us to do. What he's asking of us. And the thing is, is what he's asking of us, what he's called us to do, that next step always requires an element of faith, right? It always requires action on our part, something to do. Something that requires faith, something that requires obedience. I mean, after all, look what he's asking Ananias to do. Consider what he's asked this man to do. Go to the street called Straight and find Saul of Tarsus. He's there in the house of Judas praying. I'm willing to bet that is not what Ananias had in mind when he said, here I am, Lord. Man, I was hoping you'd send me to Saul, this guy that's been persecuting the church. So glad you chose me for that. Then again, isn't that true of how the Lord works? So often when he does call us, when he does ask us to do something, how often is it not exactly what I had in mind? Right? So often God's plans for us are not my plans for us. Right? I saw that going differently. I wanted to do this. This would have been easier, Lord. Go to Saul of Tarsus? Matthew 6, and 34 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness... And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things, sufficient for the day in its own trouble. In other words, Ananias, don't worry about it. I've called you to go. I've called you to do this, to meet with this man, Saul, to lay your hands on him so that he can receive his sight again. I've chosen you for this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See, that's the thing that we have to learn. That's the thing that we have to understand is that when God calls us, it's not for us. It's not to build our kingdom. It's not for our righteousness. It's for him. It's for his kingdom, for his righteousness. It's for his glory. 
See, God's going to do something amazing in the life of Saul, and Ananias doesn't know that. Ananias doesn't know that he's going to go on to write half the New Testament books. He doesn't know how many churches Paul's going to go on to plant. But we're not required to know those things, are we? What we're required to do is to take that step of of faith and walk in obedience, to trust him that he knows what he's doing. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, 17, but as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. He's called us to walk in a certain way, to walk to a certain place, to minister to a certain person. Paul says in Ephesians 4, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. We need to walk according to the calling that he's given us and let God work out all the other details, right? Ananias, don't worry about who Paul is and what he's done in his past. I've called you to go, to lay hands on him so that he can receive his sight. I need you to go to the street called Straight, find the house of Judas, and find this man, Saul. That's what I need you to do. Philippians 3, 12 through 14 says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We need to press on to the call that God has for us. But check this out. God's working in Ananias' life, right? God is doing this thing He's hearing God. He's calling him. But God's working on the other end too, isn't he? And he tells him that. He tells him that in verse 12, right? God tells Ananias that Saul has had a vision of a man named Ananias coming to him, laying his hands on him so that he can receive his sight. And I don't know about you, but that encourages me because when God is involved... When he's calling us to do something, he's working on both ends of it, right? He's called me to do such and such a thing in such and such a place for such and such a person. And we can know that he's over there doing the same thing in that person, preparing that person. God is specifically preparing Saul for that moment when Ananias would get there, right? No doubt Ananias doesn't know what has happened to Saul on the road. That's all fresh. That's all new. He doesn't know that Saul's been converted. He doesn't know the experience that Saul has had 
seeing Jesus, seeing the Messiah. But God's working on that end too. God's not only preparing Ananias for Saul, but God is preparing Saul for Ananias. That's how God works. This is encouraging. When we hear from the Lord, when he calls us, we can go because we know that he has prepared the way. He's gone before us. But we're human, right? Like we don't always get it right the first time. We don't understand it perfectly every time. So Ananias does something here that I kind of think is somewhat, on a human level, somewhat natural, somewhat expected, especially in light of what he's been asked to do, right? Ananias has put himself in a place where he can hear from the Lord, where he can hear God's voice. He's in a place where he can receive the call of God. And when he receives that call, that call right, something happens in Ananias. The third thing we we learn from Ananias is his reservations to God's calling, right? The reservation he has to the Lord. Look at verses 13 and 14. Ananias answers God. So right there in this kind of dialogue, God's speaking to him, God's calling him, go to this place. And Ananias responds to the Lord. He says, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, right? I'm, I'm pretty familiar of who Saul is how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here, he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Listen, Lord, I I know who Saul is. I know what he's done to your church. And I have it on good authority that he has permission from the chief priest to come here to Damascus to bind believers. That's me, Lord. See, he has some reservations about what God is calling him to do. You know, if I could paraphrase a little bit, it's, it's like Ananias is there. And he's, he's, he's seeking the Lord. The Lord is speaking to him. And in that moment, he's like, Lord, I, I think you got the wrong guy. <laughs> On both sides, I'm not the guy to go to Saul. And uh, Saul's probably not the guy to receive his sight again. In fact, I'd like to do the church a favor and leave this man blind so he can't persecute us anymore. Why would you send me to restore his sight? Remember, God told Ananias to go to the street called Straight, right? Inquire in this house for this man Saul, for he is praying. He tells Ananias that Saul is praying. I like what Spurgeon said all right, perhaps you mean he is praying upon your church, right? Perse- praying, P-R-E-Y. He is praying. God says, no, he's praying, P-R-A-Y. He has reservations. And from my perspective anyway, they're understandable, Right? I mean, can you relate with Ananias here? If God called you to go to minister to somebody who is persecuting the church, persecuting Christians, right? Someone who hates us. I might have some reservations about that too. 
The encouraging thing is that Ananias isn't the only person in Scripture to have reservations when God calls them, right? He's, he's not alone in this, right? In Exodus chapter 5, when God called Moses in verse 22, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Why is it that you have sent me? Right? Moses didn't understand why he was told to go to Pharaoh. Moses had his reservation. Oh, I can't speak so good, Lord. That's, I'm the wrong guy for that. Right? Peter, Peter had his reservations. There were things that Peter didn't understand, he didn't quite get. Right? Jesus came to Simon Peter. Peter's like, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And, and that's the key, right? It's not up to us to understand everything. It's not up to us to know the end from the beginning, right? That's God's job. He knows the end. He knows how it's going to play out. It's our job to walk in obedience, to take that step of faith, to be in a place where we're hearing from God, accepting his calling. And yeah, sometimes we have to work through some reservations, work through some uh, situations that we're in, right? I mean, think of Job, right? I was reading through Job in chapter 40. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Right? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. And in verse 8, he says, Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Right? Job had some questions. He didn't quite understand why God would allow the things to happen to him that he allowed. How often do you second-guess God? Show of hands? I know I have. Multiple times. Seems to be a common pattern with me. God, are you sure? Do you have reservations of what God has called you to do? I mean, let's be honest. Oftentimes, what we are called to do is not always what we want to be doing. Again, this is, I'm sure, not what Ananias wants to do. He didn't wake up that morning and go, man, Saul's the guy today. I'm going to go find that persecutor and lay hands on him. Here's the thing, though. There's always something to compete with what God has called us to do, right? There's always something else in competition with God and with his calling in our life. Here, Ananias is questioning God. Right? Yeah, about that. Yeah, no. Maybe not. Lord, that's, that's not for me. Can you, can you pick somebody else for that? I mean, Lord, I'll listen. I'll hear what you have for me, but that can't be what you have for me. That just can't be it. Start searching the scriptures for something else, another word. God, there's got to be something else. 
No doubt Ananias here is, is dealing with some fear of who Paul is, right? Paul was a, or Saul, Saul of Tarsus, before he was, he's a scary dude. Because from Ananias' perspective, verse 1 still applies, right? Acts chapter 9, verse 1, Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. That is the Saul that Ananias knows. It's the Saul that is still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. So the human response, right, is one of reservation, is one of questioning, is one of second-guessing. God, I know I didn't hear that correctly. Lord, is that really what you want? Lord, have you heard what this guy's doing to your church? To your people, the people that love you, follow you, serve you? Notice something, though. Ananias has his reservations. He's questioning God. He's second-guessing what he heard. But he doesn't say no. Right? He doesn't say, God, I'm not doing that. No, he doesn't say that. He's not denying, he's not refusing the call of God. He is simply pausing to make sure he heard correctly, to make sure he understands fully before he goes and does this thing. I mean, after all, he doesn't want to get this one wrong. Because if it's not the same Saul, it could be detrimental to his health. He doesn't say no. Here's the thing. When God's calling you, when he's speaking to you and he's asking you to do something and you have your reservations, this is the God that we serve. He will come alongside you and he will encourage you in that. He'll encourage you. Maybe this morning we need a little persuasion to do what he's called us to do. Maybe we've heard from him. Maybe we've been spending time in his word. We've been spending time in prayer and we think we've heard the voice of the Lord. But we're just not sure. So like Ananias, we've paused. Right, we're holding back. We're waiting for a moment because we're just not sure. God, is this really you? Have you really said that? Are you really asking me to take this particular step of faith? God is faithful to come alongside us, to confirm that word, to encourage us in what he said. That's the fourth thing we want to consider this morning is is that we need to hear from the Lord. We need to answer the call from the Lord. Even when we have reservations from the Lord, there is the encouragement, the encouragement that comes from God. Look at verses 15 and 16. God encourages Ananias. The Lord says to him, go, for he, Saul, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my namesake. Lord, are you sure I'm going to go to this particular street, to this particular house for this particular person? (laughs) 
God, have you heard what this man is doing to your church? And God's response, Ananias, go. Go. He is a chosen vessel of mine. I have a purpose for him. This man is to bear my name. And he's to bear my name before Gentiles, before kings, before the children of Israel. I have to show this man how many things he must suffer for my namesake. And, and we, we know the story, right? We know all the things that Paul has endured for the cause of the gospel. And he catalogs them for us, right? Shipwrecked, stoned, left for dead. I mean, Paul went through it in his ministry. And there's Ananias going, am I doing the right thing? Was this the right choice? And we ask these questions ourselves all the time, don't we? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Have I heard what I think I've heard? Am I doing the right thing? Did I take the right job? Should I help this person? Should I have done that? Should I have said that? Should I really get involved in this situation? We have our reservations, our questions, our second guessing. But we need to back up a second and consider, are we in a place where we're hearing from the Lord? Right? Are we hearing from him? Because if we're not hearing from the Lord, then we need to back up and assess and figure out what we're doing and why. Because we need to be hearing from him. We need to be hearing the voice of the Lord. Because if we're not hearing the voice of the Lord, how can we know what he's called us to do? Second Timothy three sixteen and 17, right? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Are you in God's word? That's his primary way of speaking to us, right? That is usually how he speaks into our life. It is through his word. It is given by inspiration. of He has inspired it for you, for me. He's inspired it for us. It's his word. It's living. It's active. And it speaks to the, the deepest recesses of our soul, Right? That his word is profitable. It's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for, for reproof, for correction. It instructs us in righteousness. God's word is there to make us complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Listen, if you are not in his word, then you are not in a place where you can hear from him. Ananias was in a place where he could hear from the Lord. And he was able to deal with his reservations because he knew who he was talking to. He knew who he was hearing from. I'm not saying it's the only way God speaks, but I will tell you it is primarily how he speaks. At least I'll speak for myself. It's pretty much how he speaks to me. I mean, I've heard the Lord in other ways. I've, I've been deep in my prayer life and I'm, oh God, what, you're, wow, you know. I mean, I've been in prayer where God has just led me to just weeping because he's speaking to me. 
But it's through his word. And usually when he speaks to my heart, he confirms it through his word. Right? It's through spending time in his word that I really, God, that was you. I did hear from you. That was your voice. I'm just going to say it this morning. If you don't have a devotional life where you're seeking the Lord in prayer and in his word, how can you expect him to speak to you? How can you expect to hear from him? Ananias is in that place. And because he's in that place, God is going to call him to do something amazing. Something that I don't know if I could do what Ananias does. Certainly couldn't do it in my own strength. I would definitely need to know that the Lord was with me in that. I mean, sometimes you just know, right? Sometimes you just know that God has called you to do such and such a thing, and you just, you know it, so you respond. You go and do it. I mean, you just back up one chapter into Acts chapter 8, right? Philip is there. He's seeking the Lord, and the Lord, he speaks to him, right? He tells him to go. Philip hears the Lord and immediately obeys, right? He goes to this Ethiopian eunuch who is reading the book of Isaiah, and Philip ministers to him, baptizes him, right? There's, there's the Ethiopian going, well, there's water right there. What's preventing me from being baptized, right? Here's this man, Philip, who hears God's word or God, to him and responds to it. No reservation, no hesitation, no second guessing. He just goes and he does it. And Philip's encouragement comes in the result of what happened. Seeing this Ethiopian re- respond to the way he did, right? Getting there, realizing that here's this man reading Isaiah, reading about Jesus. He's like, don't you know who that is? Right, sometimes God calls us to do something and we just know we need to do it. And we get there and we realize that this was of the Lord, right? This was totally of God and I'm in the right place. You know, but then other times it's different, right? Other times God calls us and we kind of sit there like, really? I don't know, right? Jeremiah gets called by the Lord. You know, for Jeremiah, it was a little bit different, right? The word of the Lord came to me in, in Jeremiah chapter one saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you ordains you a prophet to the nations. And I said, ah, Lord, God, behold, I, I, I can't speak. I'm just a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm a youth, for you shall go to um, all to whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Don't be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, and to build and to plant. Jeremiah, I have called you. I have put my words in your mouth. And there's Jeremiah going, yeah, I don't know if you've, I don't know about that. I'm just a kid. Maybe when I grow up, maybe when I get older, maybe when I'm better received. Nobody's going to receive me. I'm too young. And God's like, no, 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 no. I've called you. 
I've ordained you for this purpose, for this people, for this time. And if you spend any kind of time in the book of Jeremiah and you read about his ministry and what he went through, he didn't have it easy, did he? Not a single convert in his ministry, but he was not, just because he didn't have any fruit in his ministry by the world standards, right? Nobody converted, nobody listened to his message, didn't make him any less called by God. In fact, Jeremiah in chapter 20 got to a point where he was like, God, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'm over it. Right? Jeremiah 20, verse 7 says, Oh Lord, you induced me and I was persuaded. Right? God called him and he was like, nah, maybe not. And God's like, no, yeah, you're going. He's like, okay. You prevailed. He's like, but I'm in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out, I shouted, violence and plunder because of the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Look how he responds. This is what Jeremiah is saying to the Lord. I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak anymore in his name. And I love this. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. Right? Jeremiah's like, I can't do this anymore. I'm being mocked and ridiculed and persecuted constantly. I mean, derision daily, he says. God, what you've called me to do is too much for me to bear. I'm done. I'm not going to speak any more in your name. And he said, but the word of God's word was in my heart, right, to my very bones. I couldn't hold it back, right? It was just a part of him. I can't help but speak for you, God. It's just my very, because you've called me, and I know that you've called me. It's clear. It's evident in my life can't help but do it. And I love what he says there in verse 12. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. Isn't that what God promised him when he called him? I will be with you, Jeremiah. Right? And in his despair, he recognizes that God has done exactly what he promised, that the Lord was with me as a mighty, awesome one. Listen, when God has called you, When he has called you, he will be with you as a mighty awesome one. He goes before you. He prepares the way. But we have to respond in obedience. Jeremiah's fear, Ananias' fear, it was met with the encouragement of God. I am with you. Our God encourages us. He encourages us to answer the call that he has put upon our lives. Because he has a purpose. He has a plan. He has a reason for the things he is doing. And he has a reason he has called us to be a part of that. I mean, do you know that? Do you understand that this morning? That he has called you and has a purpose for you in that. He is telling Ananias, for Paul, I have purposed him. He is my chosen vessel. This man is to bear my name. Ananias, I need you to go to him. I need you to lay hands on him. I need you. 
to minister to him. I mean, think about it for a moment, right? Here's Paul, Saul of Tarsus, right? Here's this man that hates the church, hates believers, wants to see them dead, and has this campaign where he is going from city to city seeking to destroy the church. And on his way to Damascus with letters from the high priest to bind anyone in the name of the Lord, he experiences the very Messiah he is persecuting. And in that moment, he is a changed man. Right? And for most of us, right, we know our point of conversion. We know when we came to the Lord and when we changed, transformed, right? When we became a person that belongs to him. But here's the thing. For, for Paul, what does this mean? He's a persecutor of the church. The very people that he is now a part of are not going to trust him, right? They're going to kind of stand off and be like, yeah, we don't know, right? You might be a spy. You might just be trying to find an inroad into the church so you can continue to persecute us. But if he's going to proclaim Christ, he can't go back to the synagogues. He can't go back to those high priests. Caiaphas is going to have nothing to do with him because he's done a 180. And so for Paul, he is there utterly alone, right? Who's going to believe me? Who's going to listen to me? And, in, and there's the Lord working, orchestrating, saying, Ananias, I have sent you to lay your hands on this man. I mean, if you considered that, how much Saul needed that compassionate hand of Ananias to know that he is not alone. Who has God sent you to this morning? Perhaps there's someone in your life that needs to know that they are not alone. And so, Ananias works through his reservations. He has this encouragement from the Lord. And so the fifth thing we need to consider this morning, it's a simple but a powerful point, is the obedience to the Lord. The obedience. Ananias is obedient. Verse 17, And Ananias went his way, entered the house, and laying hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Ananias hears the Lord. He is called by the Lord. Even though he has some reservations, he is encouraged by the Lord and is now being obedient to the Lord. He's being obedient. It's a simple point, but one that shouldn't be missed. It's obedience, right? That's what God requires. That's what God asks of us is obedience, a step of faith to trust him and to answer him. Imagine that. He goes, he is obedient. He lays hands on Saul, someone who not long ago hated him, persecuted, wanted to kill him. He lays hands on him and notice brother Saul. He identifies himself with him. My brother, Saul. Bro, I'm here with you. I'm here for you. You're not alone. I'm sorry, but that's faith. That's obedience. Right? He's not going begrudgingly. He's not sitting there dragging his feet. Well, if you called me to go, I'm going to go. No, he gets there, he lays his hand on this man and says, brother, 
I'm here with you. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Ananias is a doer of the word. He doesn't just hear the Lord. He answers the call. He's obedient. John 15.16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Your labor is not in vain. How about this one? Luke 6, 27 and 28. But I say to you, who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. Right, there's Ananias laying his hands on someone who was previously his enemy saying, brother, I got you. Brother Saul. Peter says in his epistle, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That we need to be diligent to make our calling and our election sure. I mean, this is only a few verses, right? The word of God is replete that he wants and desires obedience. And so Ananias, for us, is an example of what obedience looks like. Let's follow his example. Let's be obedient to the things that God has called us. He's in a place where he can hear the Lord, where he can receive the call of the Lord, where he can work through his reservations, receive the encouragement from God, which leads to his obedience. And the sixth and final thing we want to consider is the result. What happened because of his obedience? It says in verse 18, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, that he received his sight at once. He arose and was baptized. So when he received food and strengthened, then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he preached the the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. So that all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. The result, right? The scales fall off of Saul's eyes, that he receives his sight again, and it says that he immediately begins proclaiming Christ, right? He goes right into that synagogue and starts proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. Our obedience, it honors the Lord, it glorifies Him. 
He's the one glorified, not us. Again, notice, Ananias drops off the scene after this. He's not heard from again because it's not about the glory of Ananias. It's not about proclaiming him. It's about proclaiming the Lord. It's about what God does. It's about him being high and lifted up. It doesn't say that Ananias, I mean, we don't know because it doesn't say, right? It doesn't say if he becomes a pillar in the church after that, right? It doesn't say that he got some big pay raise or bonus because he was obedient, right? His renown doesn't go throughout all the earth, no. No, but Christ was preached. God was glorified, right? The people on the outside looking in were amazed at what God had just done in the life of Paul. That's kind of the point, isn't it? It's not about us, it's about him. He's called us so that he can be proclaimed, so that he can be glorified. So what's going on here is Saul is a chosen vessel of God. He is going to bear the Lord's name, right? As he said, before Gentiles, before kings, before the children of Israel. God's will is going to be accomplished. God's will is going to be accomplished. God was going to do the work in Saul's life that he always planned and intended. But Ananias gets to be a part of the story, right? He gets to be a part of it. He gets to say, God called me and I got to lay my hands on brother Saul. I got to see with my own eyes the scales fall from his. I got to see him run into that that synagogue and start preaching Christ. I saw it with my own eyes. I got to be a part of what God was doing. My question for you this morning is, do you want to be a part of what God is doing? Do you want to be a part of the story? Because the amazing thing is that he wants us to be a part of it. He wants to include us. He chooses us to involve us. If we would listen, if we would hear, if we would answer the call, if we would be obedient. You know, you can, you can count the apples on a tree, but can you count the apples in a seed? Right? You don't know how many apples are going to grow on an apple tree. When you plant that apple seed, you have no idea how many apples will grow on that tree. But when you see the tree, you can count the apples that are there. You can count the fruit. Right? Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher who was very committed to, to the boys in his class. So much so that when one of those boys was struggling to understand the gospel, had a hard time grasping it, that Kimball went to the shoe store where this boy was stocking shelves on the And Edward Kimball led this boy to Christ, led him to the Lord. That boy's name was D.L. Moody. Now, under D.L. Moody's ministry, there was another man named Wilbur Chapman. Wilbur Chapman gets saved and becomes an evangelist. And at one of Wilbur's meetings, the baseball player... Billy Sunday 
get saved. And Billy Sunday quits playing baseball and becomes an evangelist. Right? He starts holding these, these evangelistic crusades. And at one such crusade, a man named Mordecai Ham gets involved in Billy Sunday's ministry. And as Mordecai Ham gets involved, he has a revival meeting where a, name, where a man named Billy Frank gets saved. We know him as Billy Graham. Billy Graham, who went on to reach 2.2 billion people with the gospel. Right? Under Billy Graham's ministry, more than 2.2 billion people heard the gospel. Because in 1858, a man named Edward Kimball went to a shoe store to minister to a boy. Right? We all know who Billy Graham is, and we all know the effect his ministry has had on the world. But there was a man named Edward Kimball that was obedient to the call of God. And the world has been forever changed because of his obedience. But Edward Kimball... Right? Like Ananias drops off in history. Not much is known else of him, right? Because we tend to focus on the Billy Grahams of the world. But it's the same God that is working in and through people, right? In the same way, Tall of Tarsus, who would become Paul the Apostle, who would go on to write half of the New Testament books, he planted countless churches across Asia was used mightily by God. But a man in Damascus named Ananias answered the call of God. And he gets to be a part of the story. Right? Because it's not about what Saul of Tarsus did. It's about what God did through these men. Right? It's about him being glorified and lifted up through it. So if you leave with anything this morning, I hope you can find a place where you can hear from the Lord. A place where you can receive his calling upon your life. A place where you can allow God to encourage you through your struggles, through your reservations, so that you can be obedient to him. Because the result... It's going to bring honor and glory to him. The result is going to proclaim his name. It's going to bear his name in this world. And we get to be a part of the story. So I will close this morning with the same quote that I started with from Richard Baxter. The cost of obedience is nothing compared to the cost of disobedience. And so, Lord, we thank you. We praise you this morning, God, for who you are. God, and for what you do in the lives of people. God, that you choose to work in the the lives of Ananias, of men like Saul and Peter and Moses. But Lord, you also choose to work in the lives of men like Edward Kimball or Mordecai Ham or D.L. Moody. Because at the end of the day, God, you are the one who is at work. You are the one who is moving. You are the one who is orchestrating, Lord. And we just want to come to a place 
where we can be used of you. So God, I pray that this morning you would allow the the cares and the distractions, the loudness of this world, Lord, just to, to fade off into the distance, Lord. Lord, that we could find a place to be still and to know that you are God. To find a place where we can hear your still, small voice speaking to us. And God, would you give us the boldness, the faith to answer the call. And God, that we just, we just want to be a part of the story. Lord, whether you call us to be a Billy Graham of the world or you call us to be an Edward Kimball, just ministering, Lord, in the Sunday school class, Lord, whatever it is that you've called us to do, Lord, we want to be obedient. So, Lord, would you go before us? Lord, the rest of today, Lord, would you show us what you have for us today? And would you be high and lifted up? God, we thank you. We praise you for your word this morning. Thank you that you've been present with us, that you've overheard. We just want to say that we love you, God. And we need you. God, we can't do this without you. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.